Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. If you like listening to this podcast, then you'd love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows on The Rebel. Subscribers get to watch my weekly show as well as other great TV-style shows, too hosted by Ezra Levent and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to the rebel.media slash shows to become a member. And please leave a five-star review of this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support The Rebel without you having to spend a dime. And now, sit back and enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Guess what? Canada is in a trade war with the US, but why haven't you heard anything about this war in the mainstream media? Ezra Levent shall explain all. And attention pickup truck owners, if you drive such a rig, then you're obviously a caveman, says who? Says Calgary's mayor, that's who. Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the unbelievable details. And is nothing sacred? Victoria's Secret is all about catering to women, as in real women, who love wearing fancy lingerie, but now the transgender community wants to strut their stuff as Victoria's Secret models too. Martina Marcotto will weigh in on this 2019 version of The Crying Game. And finally, we get your letters. We get them every minute of every day. And I'll share some of the letters we received regarding my report on how Toronto's domestic homeless are being left out in the cold while Justin Trudeau's refugees enjoy central heating and three squares a day at several Toronto area hotels. Those are your rebels. Now let's round them up. What I'm about to tell you is a secret in Canada. At least I cannot find a single media outlet that reported it. That's almost a secret, right? Even though it was news announced at a noisy press conference by the noisiest president in a century. At precisely 12 noon on Thursday, January 31st, Donald Trump signed an executive order banning Canadian goods and services from potentially hundreds of billions of dollars worth of U.S. contracts in which the U.S. government is involved as a contractor or a funder. It's pure trade protectionism. It's kind of a trade war. It's aimed at the whole world. It doesn't specifically mention Canada by name, but of course Canada is by far the country that will be the most impacted given the size of our trading relationship with the United States and the integration of our economies and the nature of the products and services being banned under this executive order. 
I know you haven't heard about this. You probably don't even believe me when I say there's a trade war that was just launched because it's such shocking news and it's such a disaster. But all you've heard from the media party instead is how amazing Christia Freeland, our foreign minister, is and how she totally wrestled that Donald Trump to the ground. Given the size and scope and the potential economic consequences for Canada, you'd think that a trade war with the U.S. would make for front-page news, right? But it's as though there's been a media blackout on this story. Surely it has nothing whatsoever to do with the Canadian mainstream media about to receive that $595 million taxpayer-funded bailout. I mean, you wouldn't want to make the Trudeau Liberals look bad, after all. And joining me now with more on this incredible story that is not being reported is our very own Rebel Commander, Ezra Levant. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. Well, thanks very much. You know, um, Donald Trump is probably the noisiest yes. U.S. president since uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And, um, of course, he has the enormous magnifier of social media, and he's a, he's a real showman. And when he has press conferences in the Oval Office, surrounded by people wearing hard hats and when he has this very theatrical signing of an executive order and he holds it up like he's got this like he the man's a showman he yes. knows how to put on a show yeah. uh, he, he practiced that for years on the apprentice so at 12 noon exactly on thursday january 31st so eight days ago now he had a 38 minute press conference in the oval office packed with reporters where he announced the signing and he signed for everyone to see yes. an executive order um, called Buy America, Buy American. Yes. And it was his campaign promise going back three years, four years. He said, Buy American, Hire American. And he's been putting that in a new place for the U.S. government. So anything that is run by a U.S. federal agency or anything financed with federal money now must, according to this order, favor made in USA materials, um, equipment. And it's a very detailed list, everything from metal to broadband to pipes to oil and gas, uh, f the water treatment, like anything industrial, anything made, polymers, plastic, anything mm -hmm. you make in a factory, uh, the, the, any, if it has a U.S. federal dollar in it, it has to prefer Americans. Now this executive order does not mention Canada by name. Right. It's really an order against the whole world, right? But we are the number one affected place. Because that's our biggest trading partner. Yeah, and, and yeah. in fact, our companies are so integrated, you have the same company on both sides of the border. And in, it, in that press conference, 38-minute press conference, Donald Trump used the word China 28 times. I counted. Yeah. So this is actually Trump trying to block Chinese dumped, uh, subsidized stuff from the U.S. market, which I agree with, by the way. Okay. Why, should it, why should China put American steel companies out of business by dumping subsidized steel to, to, to run U.S. steel companies out of town? But... He's shooting at China, and I approve, but he's <laughs> shooting us by accident. We're collateral yeah. damage. We're like the hostage in the room, and I don't even think he realizes that. I really don't even think that's on his mind. Um, but I don't think it's also on Justin Trudeau's mind or Christian Freeland's mind or the mind of our ambassador or certainly the mind of the media because it has now been eight days since this executive order was signed. It's not debated. It's not negotiated. An executive order, it's just done. It's not even like regular legislation. We are now in a trade war with the United States. And I haven't heard a word from Trudeau, Freeland, Ambassador McNaughton, or, or the media on this. And I'm thinking, am I crazy or are they crazy? 
Well, I'm not crazy because the 38-minute video is right there on the <laughs> White House website. The transcript is right there on the White House website. The executive order is there. And I went through this and I said, folks, we're in a trade war and no one in Canada is even acknowledging that. That's crazy. Well, but Anisra, that's what I want to talk to you about. The unspoken story here about why Canadians aren't being told this very important story. Not only is this not being covered, but a few months ago, we saw that McLean's magazine cover with Miss Freeland on the cover saying, you're welcome, yeah. as though we, you know, as though she, as you say in your video, wrestled Trump to the ground and, and scored an amazing deal, when the precise opposite is true. What's going on here, Ezra? Why aren't we being told this story? Well, I think it's related because, of course, the whole official narrative of the Canadian mainstream media, that McLean's article was super gross, <laughs> but CBC and all of them, you know, she's our hero. She yes. defeated the Trump. She is not a trade lawyer. She has no experience negotiating any deals. She was sort of a pop journalist. Yeah. Um, she had one business project in her life to run a little project for Reuters called Reuters Next. She, it was a disaster. She burnt up 20 million bucks. 150 people were thrown out of work. She was, they shut it down. It was such a disaster. Wow. That's the only time she ever tried her hand of business. So to put someone like that, and when she moved back up to Canada, because she was living in New York for years, she came back to Canada to rule over us. Um, <laughs> she had her mortgage co-signed with her dad. Now, I'm not going to make fun because it's very expensive to live in Toronto and a lot of people need family help, but I guess we're not talking about a first-rank international <laughs> titan of commerce and industry here. If you need your dad to co-sign your mortgage and if you've never negotiated anything uh, as a bigger thing than maybe buying that house and maybe your dad did the, you're probably not the right person to be the point man. I mean, Secretary Pompeo, who I've had the pleasure of meeting, Graduated first, that's the American Secretary of State. He graduated first in his class at West Point. Mm. Um, accomplished congressman, former head of the CIA, head of, he's a Secretary of State. That is, a, that is an incredibly accomplished, smart, tough man with a military commander's mind. But he also knew his limits. And he said, I'm not going to negotiate a trade deal. I'm not a technical expert in trade law. I'm going to hire the best trade lawyer in America, yes. and he'll do it, and I'll come in, I'll shake hands when it's done. If Secretary Pompeo, an outstanding man, like, like a man of his generation, like top, 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 says, yeah, we're going to hire an expert, because why would Christy Freeland think, no, 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 I can do this. I can yeah. wrestle. So it was such a disaster. It was all for PR, and the media loved it. Yeah. And so when we have this abject <coughs> failure, mere months after signing the USMCA, that's the renegotiated NAFTA, yes. which, by the way, has not been ratified by the United States yet, mm. we have this trade war. Uh, you can't mention the trade war because that, that repudiates everything you've ever said about her being this outstanding negotiator because with the signature of a pen at 1238, or whenever it was, on last Thursday, he undid everything we think we negotiated for. There is a trade war on. Canadian companies can't even bid on trillions of dollars infrastructure projects. Government, it, it, we're, I think you're going to see unemployment tick up in the February, March numbers in Canada. Because if you can't bid on American stuff, that's such a big chunk of our economy. And, and when you say trillions, that's not an exaggeration. That, that's what it boils down to. But, you know, Ezra, I'm kind of fascinated by the audacity of the media party embracing this self-censorship because, as you point out in your commentary, 
you can go onto YouTube and see the entire White House uh, briefing where it's spelled out chapter and verse yeah. what this trade war is all about. Yeah, and a, a lot of Canadian media have a Washington reporter. It's, it's regarded as a really plum assignment. Yeah. Washington's sort of an interesting city. It, 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 you know, it's got these gorgeous buildings and museums and monuments. Got amazing restaurants because you've got all the lobbyists and diplomats <laughs> eating there. Um, it's, you know, it's a short drive to some very beautiful places, Alexandria, Virginia being an obvious one. And it's, an ama it's, it's, a, it's a prestige assignment. Yeah. So you have top journalists there for the CBC. They probably have 10 people there at least. <laughs> CTV, Global, Globe and Mail, Post Media. The Toronto Star has someone named D Daniel Dale yeah. who has made a name for himself on anything that Trump says that he disagrees with. He says, it's a lie, and yeah. he keeps track of these thousands of lies. So, and that lie chart has been... Oh, uh, it's, just, it's basically yeah. things that Trump said that I don't like and right. call a lie. But the reason I mention him in particular is because he prides himself on watching Trump like a hawk. Yeah. Oh, Trump said 17, and it was actually 16.5. Ha <laughs> ha, liar! <laughs> you like stuff like that. So if you're watching Trump that obsessively, you did not miss a 38-minute Oval Office press conference, press release, executive order, video. You did not miss it. You did not miss it. Because Donald Trump is not doing everything in his day in public. He has private meetings. He has secret meetings. He's flying around. So when he has a 38-minute press conference in the Oval Office, you know about it. You got an invitation to be there. And if you can't be there, you watch it online like I did. Yeah. Don't tell me that every single prestige journalist in Washington missed it when it's about this huge issue that can Don't tell me they missed it. I will not believe you. Yeah. And if they missed it, they should be fired for, for incompetence. If you, if you miss the president, and that's like a trade war on Canada, you missed the story of the year. It's astonishing. Ezra, we have to wrap it here. And folks, what can I tell you? They miss what might be the biggest story of the year. Imagine how much more the mainstream media is going to miss once those government checks start coming in the mail to them. Astonishing. Keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. The mayor felt that he had to reiterate that point, and in doing so said, because here in Alberta, we're not all F-350 driving cavemen. Um, and yeah, I some of us drive Dodges. So. Well, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm certain that if he had the opportunity to take that back, he would. He will never admit that, of course, because the mayor does not admit uh, when he's wrong. But uh, what an insulting thing, of course, to say to the many people in Calgary and outside the city who use F-350s to haul tools, to haul equipment to work sites, who use it because they work in agriculture, they work in the skilled trades, uh, or who, by the way, have to occasionally drive somewhere outside of the city limits. Uh, and sometimes those roads can get a little bit snowy. I mean, maybe the mayor hasn't noticed. It's freezing cold right now. And sometimes you need a vehicle that can help you get across less than perfect terrain. We can't all drive Priuses here in Alberta. Well, there you have it, folks. If you drive a Ford F-350, you might just be a Neanderthal. As for all you Chevy Silverado fans, perhaps you're really just a bunch of Cro-Magnons. And for those who find themselves behind the wheel of a Ram 3500, well, <laughs> I'm guessing you belong to the Paleolithic species. Gee, who knew that Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi had such a fixation with the Flintstones when it comes to those who drive pickup trucks. 
and with more on this story of how not to judge a person by what he or she drives is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. So, Sheila, if memory serves, I believe you own a pickup truck. So, should I now assume that when you go off on one of your hunting expeditions, you're packing spears and clubs and you're probably wearing a loincloth? I mean, what the hell is this mare <laughs> talking about? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to know, David? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's it's so crazy to hear these sorts of things from our politicians who are supposed to be defending us. Um, my husband, right now, it's minus 33 outside, and he's off to work in his Dodge 3500 Longhorn uh, to make a living for our family, but to also provide cheap, affordable, reliable Canadian energy for people like the likes of Mayor Nenshi. I mean, and Nenshi never backed down from that statement. He actually doubled down and said something. Oh, I pulled up his actual, his exact words. He said, uh, we actually have to be able to fight stereotypes and we have to win over hearts and minds. That's an interesting way of fighting stereotypes by actually stereotyping the owners of larger model pickups, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, Sheila. But you know, is, don't you think it's part of a bigger trend we're seeing out there that with the progressive liberal elites, it has become sadly fashionable to knock yep. blue collar men and their blue collar jobs. I mean, for goodness sakes, we had Hillary Clinton uh, in the last election campaign bragging about how she was going to shut down the coal mines and put those coal miners out of the out of a job. We've had Justin Trudeau talking about uh, the gender problem with a whole bunch of you know men go out into a community, and yet these guys like your husband, these are the salt of the earth. These are hardworking you know uh, men who that their critics wouldn't last a shift out uh, in the real world. But so I'm just trying to figure it out, Sheila, why is it that the blue collar tradesman has become a target for this kind of vilification? I think it has to do with our changing culture. I think there are a lot of people who up until uh, very recently, they were only, you know, one generation removed from the farm or one generation removed from blue collar work. I think we're two generations now and there's a lot of disconnect about how that food gets on your table and how the gas gets in your tank um, for a lot of people who live in major urban centers. Um, but I think it also has a lot to do with these, this idea of social license. Um, we hear a lot of uh, about that, about uh, how to get our oil to market. We have to appease the people who will never like us and who currently don't like us um, by sort of self-flagellating until they do like us and, and beating ourselves up about what we do um, for a living as far as working in the oil patch. And I think a lot of that has bled into this sentiment against blue-collar people. It's sort of okay to bash blue-collar people because um, the left bashes them and the oil haters bash them. So if we bash them too, maybe they'll like us a little bit more. And, um, you know, to that I say, screw them. 
Screw them. Oh. When when somebody is downtown Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, sipping on their latte and eating their gluten-free whatever the hell it is, um, uh, uh, screw them. Screw them. They don't know how that food got on the table, and uh, they never will, and they won't care, so I'm done trying to make them like us. And you know, Sheila, there's a book that came out about 10 years ago. I urge our viewers to check it out if they can. It's called Blue Collar and Proud of It, and it's self-written by someone who realized uh, very early on uh, going to college that the academic world wasn't for him and what he wanted to do was work outdoors and in his home state of Massachusetts he started uh, a grass cutting uh, company uh, just by himself. Well now he's making more than two million dollars a year. He's got a, a crew of people going out there and I guess the point is Sheila is that with all these um, urban elites poo-pooing the blue collar trades you go into things like plumbing, uh, e electrical work, you can easily make six figures. There are jobs begging for these skills. And meanwhile, these, are, these, these men are getting condemned by people that have gone to university that have taken the most outrageous and useless bird courses that amount to yeah. nothing in society. I just find the irony so perverse. Well, yeah, I mean, I've seen um, studies where it shows, especially here in Alberta, or at least during boom times, a heavy duty diesel mechanic will make more in his lifetime than a doctor because wow. there's lower o lower overhead, less debt associated with your education. Um, and everybody looks down their nose at blue collar people until they their furnace goes out when it's minus 30. And then it's a blue collar guy who saves the day. I think there's a lot of, especially directed at Alberta because our tradespeople can easily make those six figure salaries. A lot of these overly educated, useless people look down their nose because for us, blue collar work breaks those class barriers for us. It's, it's a way out of poverty. It's a way to be something more than uh, your station in life and what your birth uh, dictated for you. And I think a lot of the elites don't like that blue collar work helps us get on the same level as them, at least uh, economically speaking. You know, Sheila, to bring it back to Alberta too, um, I lived for two years in Alberta in the mid eighties. And I can tell you this, never would I have ever dreamed based on my Alberta experience that somebody elected to a position yes. in power in the province of Alberta would ever have the temerity to bash you know, the, the trades, to vilify those driving pickup trucks. Has something changed in the 30 years I've been away from Alberta? I mean, I guess what I'm asking ultimately is, how does a guy like a Nemshi get elected and reelected in the first place? Well, uh, there's a, I guess there's a bigger question there. How does Rachel Notley get elected? <laughs> I mean, Rachel Notley bashes Albertans, regular Albertans all the time, and her cabinet does it too. They name call. Rachel Notley on a national news broadcast said, you know, called us embarrassing cousins of Confederation. Her health minister, who is also the deputy premier, stood up in the legislature and called Albertans sewer rats. So... Uh, it makes it pretty permissive for someone like Nenshi, who's been elected now three times and feels pretty comfortable to let it slip that, you know, he thinks that blue collar workers, farmers, rig hands, they're all a bunch of cavemen. It, it, it's she has given people like Nenshi permission to use the same sort of name calling that she does. 
But, you know, I see it, Sheila, especially in a place like Alberta, which uh, I liken to the state of Texas. I mean, mm -hmm. it seems to me that maybe one out of every three vehicles on the road Easily. is a pickup yep. truck and not necessarily driven by people in the trades. You even because of the uh, how trucks have uh, embraced luxury now, you even see mm -hmm. soccer moms driving pickup trucks. And yep. so to in a place like Alberta, to go after the pickup truck driving demographic, it, is this guy crazy? Yes. <laughs> I mean, to answer your question in one word, yes. Uh, he lives in a bubble. He exists in a bubble where there's very little accountability. Mayor Nenshi has more secretive meetings of council than any other mayor in the entire country. He doesn't like criticism. And, I mean, he, he's not exactly a man of the people. And uh, I think he's going to find out how uh, people have responded to his condescension in his third and final term when he... Um, faces the voters in the ballot box in a couple of years. But um, yeah, in in one word, yes. Wow. Well, Sheila, we have to wrap it there. Like you said, in a couple of years at the next uh, uh, municipal elections, uh, hopefully Calgarians will pop that little bubble and uh, we'll be done with this nonsense once and for all. Thank you so much for weighing in on this topic, Sheila. Hey, David, have a great weekend. You too. And folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. To spite Victoria's Secret, UK lingerie brand has featured Transmodel in their campaign. The whole purpose was to stick it to Victoria's Secret. The New York Post reports, after Victoria's Secret said its annual show shouldn't include transgender models, transgender model and activist Monroe Bergdorf has taken a swipe at the famous lingerie brand while revealing her latest saucy photo shoot as a part of a campaign for a different, more inclusive lingerie brand. Interesting that all the images just casually cover the lower parts, you know what I mean? I just don't understand why they have to go out of their way to take it out on Victoria's Secret. And I feel that this company just wants some PR and uh, attention to feature this model. That's the only reason why they're really doing this. Like, who are they? This is a classic case of using minorities and politically correct things for PR stunts. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, a few months ago in an interview with Victoria's Secret, Chief Marketing Director Ed Reisick said it would not feature transgender or plus size models in its fashion show, arguing that their brand was based on fantasy and being politically correct wasn't part of their brand. He has since apologized for his insensitive comments and said that trans models would be considered. You know, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say that the Victoria's Secret brand is all about gorgeous models parading down the fashion runway clad in sexy lingerie. At the end of the day, Victoria's Secret, as the company's CEO rightfully stated, is all about selling a fantasy. But apparently Victoria's Secret's reluctance to use trans models as opposed to real females makes this company transphobic. Oh. Give me a break already. And joining me now with more on the Victoria's Secret brouhaha is someone who is 100% bona fide female as well as someone who knows a thing or three about the fashion business and that would be Miss Martina Marcota. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Martina. Thank you for having me. Always and a I pleasure. Love so Martina, <laughs> yet again, we are being bombarded with demands for so-called reasonable accommodation that I think is actually quite unreasonable. I mean, 
As a company, Victoria's Secret has every right to favor real women as their models because I'm quite certain that real women make up 99.99% of Victoria's Secret customer base. So what exactly is going on here, Martina? Yeah, well, I mean, first I'd like to say thank you for always um, <laughs> prefacing that I am a bona fide real cis. <laughs> I think they would call me a cis woman, which means I was born that way. Okay. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right, is that, I mean, I think it's less than, like, 0.2% of the population considers themselves trans and stuff. So it's just fascinating that they think a company um, should really pander to this very, very, very small, very loud and disturbing uh, minority. And, uh, I mean, that's just not really how business works. And, I mean, Victoria's Secret in general is, like, it's for women, but it's also for men. So I think it's actually, um, you know, straight, heterosexual, cis men or whatever. Um, I don't think they want to see that or be confused by that, by, by a trans person. So it's not even just the women. I mean, I know lots of men that enjoy the the fashion show, the magazines, and, and what have you. And, and it's supposed to be a fantasy for all. And, uh, yeah, so I don't know why they would think that pandering to such a small minority would, would be ideal. No, I agree with you, Martina. I can tell you, I think I speak for most heterosexual men in, in saying that we don't want our own personal version of the crying game uh, by any kind of uh, wardrobe malfunction. But, you know, I thought you made a really interesting point in your commentary, and it was about having it both ways. This um, transgender model is saying, hey, look, I'm just one of the gals. I'm a real woman, too. Oh, but wait a minute. I'm special because I used to be a man. I am a transgender woman. Well, which is it, honey? Right, exactly. And I think that's something that isn't touched on so much, but it's a really interesting point because they want to claim to be real women. Respect us. We're real women. How dare you say we're not real women? But every opportunity they get, they promote themselves as trans. So, well, I'm sorry, honey. Are you a real woman or are you trans? And I mean, for most people, they probably wouldn't notice um, if you didn't say it, make a big point about it, make a big stink about trans, trans, trans. Um, if if you look like a woman and you're beautiful and you get a modeling job, like I don't think a man or a woman would notice and it wouldn't really be, be a big deal. But they want to promote themselves on this altar of I'm better than a real woman. I'm trans, so I'm more special. Indeed. And, and also uh, another interesting point you came up with, uh, Martina, was that when you look at the shots of this transgender woman uh, modeling the lingerie, they're from north of the equator because I think it would become very evident very quickly that um, if that person was wearing a thong, uh, that is no woman, my friend. So um, I, again, I'm really scratching my head because this seems to be somebody who wants to be treated as a woman, but at least surgically speaking, uh, this model hasn't gone all in, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, they say that it's no one's business what goes <laughs> on down there. But, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if you have male parts down there, then I'm sorry you're not a woman. And you don't know what it's like to be a woman. You don't know <laughs> what it feels like to suffer as a woman. So, um, but, yeah, they, they try to play that card of, well, it's none of your business. And they do this thing called tucking. So they can get away with it pretty well. Um, they, they, they tuck in it and it creates a, an illusion. So 
it uh they they can get away with it but yeah the the, the images are pretty funny because it's just constantly like oh there's just a piece of fabric covering just so happens to cover me it's it's just comical you know i mean how can I, how can you sell lingerie when you're covering it? oh I, a great point it's uh counterproductive uh, um you know, Martina, I personally think that in the transgender world, there is many people that, you know, who are men that became so-called women who actually have a hatred of women. And I say this because you see these um, fake females getting into women's athletics where they're cleaning up uh, because they are biologically still a man. And we separate sports down gender lines except for equestrian and auto racing for that reason. And even in um, your neck of the woods in the UK, you had a transgender woman go demand to go to a female prison, was accommodated, and promptly raped two other real female inmates. So why don't we hear more about this, that instead of us, you know, being, you know, unaccommodating and not embracing enough, what, why don't we hear about the dark side of what's going on? Because I think it's a very dark side indeed, Martina. Yeah, I mean, you're not allowed to. And that's the thing is that they've created so much of, a, I'm going to say the word stigma against um, criticizing that you've become a bigot if you have any real life criticisms. And, and that's the danger. That's that slippery slope that we talk about. I mean, if you can't criticize, then they have every right to do all sorts of stuff. And if you say object to anything, then suddenly you're the bigot and no one wants to be the bigot. So they, they re and that's why they want to be considered trans and not just a real woman, because then they get that, aha, I can do whatever I want. And uh, if you disagree with me, you become a bigot. But yeah, um, I mean, I, I think that a lot of it is um, anti-feminist. And there are some feminists. There's, a, I don't know what they're called. They have some sort of name for their group. But they're kind of the old school feminists, the uh, Camille Paglia type people or the, uh, what, what's that other lady, an older an older lady that um, speaks out a lot. She's a traditional old school feminist, like first, second wave. Well, I don't think first wave we have anymore, but this is like a second wave <laughs> feminist or something. And they're actually against um, that whole aspect of trans. Not that they're against trans people, but um, they find it to be counter uh, intuitive to what feminist rights are, because now we have men coming over and taking over everything. So it, much for like empowerment for women. Exactly. And, and, but I, I think, you know, Martina, for the most part, today's modern day feminists, ironically and perversely, have thrown women under the bus to avoid being called transphobic. And that's a bloody shame. Martina, <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it there. Thank you so much for uh, weighing in. Another great Sounds commentary. Good. Thank you. You got it. And folks, keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Those non-citizens who have entered into Canada mostly from Africa, the Middle East and Haiti and have done so in an illegal basis are put up in hotels. Case in point, the Radisson Toronto East is now entirely and exclusively reserved for refugees and asylum seekers. And unlike the cold and hunger the domestic homeless must endure on a cold day in February, well, there's no such concern here thanks to central heating and three square meals a day, courtesy of you, the taxpayer. 
So how bad will this problem get? Well, consider that there are currently more than 64,000 asylum seekers waiting for their cases to be heard. And that's a number that grows weekly thanks to more illegals coming into Canada at those so-called irregular border crossings. And of course, Immigration Minister Ahmad Hussein has signed on to the UN Global Compact. And according to the United Nations, there are currently 258 million migrants the world over. So clearly, the supply of irregulars for Canadian hotels to house is just about limitless. Oh, I don't know. Is this your, we're on the yeah, parking lot? Okay. Private property, please get off. Oh, okay then. Would you like to come on camera? No, and I would not. I would like you uh, off, the, okay. off our property right now. I'd like you to stop taking my picture. Hey, hey, excuse me. Take the pic. Take your Hey, 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 hey. Hey, don't. Get your Rebel Do Crap you News out of here right now. Why is it Rebel Crap News, sir? Get out off our private property. I'll call the police. Good, and then you'll be charged with assault for what you just did. What a sad state of affairs. Thanks to the shelters being jam-packed, Toronto's domestic homeless find themselves sleeping in fields and under the elevated Gardner Expressway. As for Justin Trudeau's illegal immigrants, well, they suffer no such indignities. In fact, these people are being given the royal treatment put up in Toronto hotels complete with gyms and swimming pools. Hmm, what's wrong with this picture? In any event, here's what some of you had to say about a sorry situation that's getting all the more sorry with every passing week. Pepe Mohawk writes, I stayed at that hotel last year. What a gong show. Kids getting in and out of every floor, parents complaining in the elevator about their welfare checks, dirty looks from a lot of the males. Well, sorry to hear about your experience, Pepe Mohawk. As astute viewers may recall, I actually booked a room at this hotel last fall when it was still partly open to the public. I wanted to see firsthand what was going on there. However, I was recognized and was promptly given the bums rush by management, even though I had paid about $200 for my room. Which makes you wonder, what are they trying to hide here? Alas, if you truly need an answer to that query, I suggest you check out the plethora of disturbing reviews regarding the Toronto Radisson East on TripAdvisor. James Smith writes, Serious question, why are these migrants being welcomed into Canada and being housed and fed better than many Canadians? Well, James, that's something we wanted to ask Immigration Minister Ahmad Hussein, but apparently just asking such a question is tantamount to fear-mongering, and he won't provide any answers. My best guess is that this is yet more Justin Trudeau virtue signaling as he obsesses over diversity. I guess Justin's never heard the old proverb that begins, charity starts at home. Coca-Cola Boy writes, stop paying your taxes. Well, that might look good on paper as a protest tactic, Coca-Cola Boy, but in practice, I would suggest that trying to execute such a plan will result in you getting free room and board, courtesy of the state, except that you won't be residing at a hotel, but rather at a prison. And Hope for the Planet writes, how can they be considered refugees when they are arriving through a safe country like the USA? Are they not by law supposed to apply for refugee status in the first safe country they arrive? That would be the USA. They should be pitched right back, let Trump deal with them. You know, you are absolutely correct, Hope for the Planet, but in order to enforce this law, that would require a measure of political will in Ottawa. Sadly, 
That will does not exist. As for President Trump, do you really think he's heartbroken seeing so many illegals leave the USA? Quite the contrary, actually. So as long as the Trudeau Liberals remain in power, just consider this to be the new normal in the months and maybe even the years ahead. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.